if you had an elastic band and you wrapped it around your two thumbs and you started to stretch it, the elastic band represents our capacity. And we have so much elasticity within that, but you know, you can also snap it and kill your capacity and have to start over again. So finding that right tension and really managing and respecting that capacity is something that I have built frameworks and tools around that I'm now just starting to put out there to the world. And here we are with another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Today, my guest is Melanie Sadka. Sadka like vodka. <laughs> As you'll hear her say, I, I just have such an affinity for that because we around here say Padilla like tortilla. So we have Melanie Sadka with us today, and she is a professor of entrepreneurship, actually. She teaches business and has an MBA. And because of her unique background and also because of just how we met, this conversation goes like into the like good stuff. Like we're talking about where inspiration comes from at some point and with her background in like organizational like psych. And we, it was just such a cool conversation. But also my fascination with her bridge where she's actually teaching quote unquote entrepreneurship and is also an entrepreneur. And I just had to hear her perspective on the way, because I know for those of you devoted listeners, I know you know I've talked about the way that this digital entrepreneur space talks about college and how in many cases I feel like I have to defend it. So I wanted to hear her perspective on, you know, she actually basically is a student and has bought many of the same courses I've bought and she takes that knowledge into her classroom. And I'm like, so you basically represent you know, what all these people say isn't happening, which is, you know, people with MBAs are teaching old, outdated theories, like no one knows what's going on. And it's just not true. And so for the first time on the show, I've had this person who actually is bridging both worlds. And so we got into it, man. We talked about higher ed, you know, the future of it. This is a, a meaty episode. And, um, you know, I, you'll see because we dived in with where we met, um, which is the Archangel Summit put on by Giovanni and his team. And we'll link to that. I also gave a one, two, six talk and was on the stage. And she alludes to it at one point. I'll definitely link to that as well. But yeah, like because we started there, I didn't ask my typical first question about like, what's your background? Like, what's your CV? Like, we just went into it. And so it's literally as if we just were hanging out and talking about some issues that we were thinking of. Um, and she also opens up and is vulnerable um, in the in the beginning about, you know, the way she doubts herself, which I always appreciate it because I definitely, you know, uh, can associate with that. So part of me is just like, I, I didn't, I almost couldn't even take notes during the interview. That's how in, into it I was. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and you enjoy Melanie and, and her work. I think you will really connect with her. So enjoy this episode. Yay. I'm so excited to have Melanie Sadka on with us today in Academics Mean Business. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. This is so fun. So Melanie, I always love to say if I know people personally and I've met in person, I love to say how we met. And uh, we met at Archangel, we did. which is an amazing uh, platform that Giovanni has put together. And you've been involved in that program for a while, right? I have. You probably know more about it than I do. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Why don't you share a little bit? Because she was a host of, you were kind of the MC of 
a workshop that was was like kind of connected with the Archangel event. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about it, I totally love the experience and all the people. So when Melanie introduced herself and was like, "Oh, you know, I teach business and I run, um, I'm an entrepreneur," and I was like, "Oh my gosh, we have to chat." <laughs> we do. It was, you know, I think things are are meant to happen, and you meet people in your life yes. that you're supposed to connect with, and you know, I don't need to tell you much about that. But the Archangel is a really special event that Giovanni and his team puts on. And I've been involved for the last three years. So, you know, I, I attended the first one three years ago, was blown away. Like some of the mm. biggest people that I follow were all there on one stage. Yeah. Was that the first one or like uh, the first big one? I think one? it was the first big one. This was like Robin Sharma, Gary V was mm. there, uh, Seth mm-hmm. Godin was there, JJ Virgin, wow. like all these, you know, Gretchen Rubin. So all these wonderful people on mm. once in one day, like it was, you know, I mm-hmm. took notes and notes and notes, which was fantastic. So then I became a lifer immediately because it was just so inspiring. And just the, the vibrations from all the like-minded people mm. in that room, I hadn't, I had never experienced that before. And so just, you know, kept following, kept in touch. And I wanted to do something. I wanted to like, how do I get involved? Mm. And anyways, Randall and I, another Archangel um, member. Oh, yeah. yeah, I met we, him. We mm-hmm. came up with this 126 talk, which you so beautifully and amazingly <laughs> got a chance to, to do your 126 talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fantastic to be able to contribute that way. And then I said, like, what else can I do? And uh, Giovanni's like, hey, I have this role. I'd love you to play. And you can be the MC in the Friday VIP room. And I was like, are mm. you sure? Like, are, are you sure? Like that you're asking me that? And he's like, yes, you, you know, let's do this. So it was such a fantastic experience to to be again in a different format. He's so generous, right? Mm-hmm. You know that. Mm-hmm. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. 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 And so that's really, and then, and then you spoke, which was awesome. You did such a fantastic oh, job. Thank and you. And then here we are. Here we are, Lindsay. Here yeah. we are. Here we are. Yeah. And I love it because, yeah, Giovanni, he means a lot to me too. He's really, he's a a true, one of those true connectors that you hear a lot about in this space where he realizes how, you know, how to lift up other people, connect them, you know, help them and just literally be of service and create this container. And he's also, what I love about him is really into the experience um, and how people feel and, um, and making it you know, multidimensional. We've been to so many business conferences where it's just like you take all these notes and you feel almost overwhelmed with all the things you're quote unquote supposed to Mm -hmm. do. And Giovanni got feedback. I think he was really tapping into really, I think he was, he's forecasting. He's like, he's trailblazing in this way because I've been to many events where I was so overwhelmed walking away going, I actually don't, I, I could do every single thing that everyone said they're amazing, smart people, but like now I'm frozen yes. and I can't do the next thing. And it that was scary for me as an academic too. Um, and I'm glad we're talking about this because we've we've talked about on the show a little bit about how different you know business events are to like academic conferences and like meetings on campus and yes. all of that and how they're so fun and everyone's super optimistic and it's all about opportunity and like self development and this really cool vibe. It like is in a business conference that doesn't tend to be in an academic setting for very obvious reasons. But I've never really thought about now how we can up-level the business conference until I attended the Archangel Summit. And mm. um, and so, yeah, having you on and really painting this picture, I think this would be an event that people like us would love to attend. So, yeah. And there was a couple other people. Mark Cordone was there who's been a guest on the show. Yes. Um, who else was there? 
I know there's people in the Archangel community that I've had as a guest. I'm, I'm definitely wanting to get um, Stephanie on as well. Yes. Um, eventually. So, but yeah, just like people with, you know, just advanced knowledge and degrees and they're out there, you know, making change maybe in the classroom, but also wanting to do something bigger. And I think Archangel really taps into that. It's all about kind of this, like, you know, he frames it in the superhero stuff. Mm. He's into comics and mm-hmm. X-Men. Um but uh, yeah, so Giovanni is really reimagining how we do conferences in this business space where actually the student, right, us as attendees can feel overwhelmed and it could make us feel bad about ourselves. It can have the opposite effect. Um, and so he, when you go to the day that is the big day, yes, it's like nine to five or six, but it's it's all like inspirational, motivational stories tied with some t- like little actions that you can do. Yes. It's not like, here's my entire Facebook oh, ad strategy no. and I'm going to walk through all these slides. It's more tapping into like being connected with these people. And of course, he brings amazing human beings to to give talks. And that's he's I think who was his first guest that he announced? Elizabeth Gilbert. Yes. Right? Yeah, and there's another um, one coming so, up, which I'm so excited yeah, to hear I wonder about. Who it is. You know, it yeah. keeps us in suspense. But you're right, Lindsay, because yeah. how do you make 3,000 people feel mm. like you're having a one-on-one with them? This yes. is this is where he's up leveling this. This is where you know, this is where his magic is and his, you know mm. his superpowers. Because you sit there and you feel like every single one of his speakers is speaking to you directly. Yes. I don't know yep. how that happens, yep. but that's mm-hmm. exactly it. What I do love though is the Friday part because you know some people do want a little bit more and they want a bit more of that academic or the how to. Yes. Yes. That's what Friday was for, and he added yep. that later in the year. I would think it was a smart move. It was yeah. such a smart move. Um, yeah, that that because that gave you a lot of, okay, here's what I need right now. And here's mm-hmm. what I can go and do with that right now. But yep. it's so yep. funny. I want to go back to where you were talking about you go to conferences yeah. and you walk away and you're just like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. Yes. I don't know what to do. The worst feeling. So yeah. full disclosure. So Giovanni sends out this email saying, what's your kryptonite? And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So I'm going to answer this, right? Because I, you know, I, I do I want to have a conversation with him and I want to participate. And, you know, I just, I like to talk. And so I answer this email and I say, you know what, my kryptonite is I need conversion strategies and I need some help on where to go with that. So mm. I sat with this answer for about four days and I was like, what the f like i don't know if we're allowed to swear on here but i'm like what the no f- you are no. okay <laughs> we bleep it we bleep it but yeah <laughs> okay because i was like that's not what you need i mm. was currently like in a straight jacket because i have taken every course i have been yep, to every yep, conference yep. i have done this and i have done everything and now i'm immobilized mm-hmm. i do, and i'm cuz i'm scared of making the wrong move and yes. knowing better like I, yes. I would be like, I knew that you took the course, you paid the money, and you know, it's I was that's that's the crippling kryptonite fear is mm. not doing what I was supposed to do because I mm. you took the course, dummy. Why didn't you do it? Mm. So that's that was a big the big one. So I went back one. to him and I wrote <laughs> yeah. him in a blog fashion and I said, mm. I lied to you. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I lied to my mentor. <laughs> <laughs> I lied because I, I, this is why. And I wrote him this big, long blog. And I said, what I really need is I need just like a little bit of guidance to and reassurance almost at this point to be like, just go ahead and do it. Almost like permission. And it. that's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I, I don't feel like I want permission, but I think sometimes I do. Yeah. I don't know if that's like, you know, you just the course collector. 
behavior. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, and you know, I part of me is like the internal part of me is I think it's a little in our upbringing of being, you know, going into the academy and teaching and and being obsessed with learning and and mm. loving the learning process. I think that might be a kryptonite for lots of academics listening. Um, it's m- one myself. Like I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here nodding and saying yes because I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's something we talk a lot about on this show too. Is that There is a little bit of perfectionism in type A that happens with people who have our training and our background. And, you know, the career path that I had originally chose was really driven on that, like doing it well and doing it right Mm -hmm. because you're getting outside validation. Um, But in the business space, if I've learned anything and I'm still still learning this, I'm not like, you know, I get it. But, you know, if I've learned anything, it's that we actually have to mess up in order to get the feedback to make the right choice. Yes. And so it's like, and that's like goes against some like a lot of strains of like what we do in academia. It's about not messing up and showing how good you are because we're proving ourselves, um, you know, to the institution, sometimes to our, you know, dissertation committee, to outside, right, um, reviewers in an article. Like there's so many like gatekeepers in our system that it's almost like a, yeah, a natural thing to want to do it correctly. And I think we come in going like, you know, if I can't figure this out and I spent all these years <laughs> in school and all this money, like shit, I, I should be smarter than this. That's what plays in my head. And so I, I hear you in that too. So um, I just wanted to say thank you for being vulnerable too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm not the only one because that's the other fear is like, mm. am I the only one who not feels like this? Right. But when, when you talked about messing up and learning from that, like it, yeah. you know, I'm okay with that. I, I, I really do enjoy a good mess up and then learning from it and walking away, which is and doing it differently next time. But Mm. here's the thing, like, there's some sort of, I don't know the word, but there's, there's something that doesn't make sense. There's an incongruence between this, because when we have to mess up, and we're encouraged to mess up, because that's where the lesson is, why are we being sold at every turn, something Mm. that is going to shorten (laughs) the learning cycle? Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's always it, there's always something like I've spent 10 years doing this and I've made all my mistakes and here, you know, come to yep. me and I'll show you how to do it properly or I'll show you how to yep. do it quickly or I'll show you how to do it more efficiently. And I'm like, yeah, but where's the where's the learning in that then? Are we supposed to make. Mm. So I, I struggle with this. Concept. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. What have you observed in this? Yeah, I think this is a great um, conversation because I think the first part of what you said, being sold at every turn, I think that's also part of it, right? Like there's something around this like psychology of selling and um, the marketplace in general that feels a little unbridled kind of in this space that I'm also tapping into as well, like as a consumer, like as somebody who's buying lots of things. Um, And so I feel that we're, we're in a way looking for answers outside of us. Um, and you know, if you're one of those people that kind of makes decisions quickly and doesn't really overanalyze and process, and that's how I am when I'm a buyer, like, I'm like, oh, I want this. I'm going to get it. Like, (laughs) and I don't really think about it too much. And, um, I had to, it's almost like I had to learn how that was not going to serve me. And so that was part of my learning was the buying. Mm -hmm. Now, some people probably don't have that. And it might be related to my money story, which is something I'm, you know, working on as well. Um, And, you know, how I grew up and what money and like income and stuff means to me mindset wise, all of that. But, you know, there is also just a little bit of um, people 
it's funny because I, I teach people how to make courses and there's this huge hypocrisy where people are like, I don't want to buy any more courses. And you'll see this. People say, I'm on a moratorium. I'm not buying any more yes. courses. And then those people are like, I'm going to sell a course. And I'm like, oh, but see, <laughs> like, so you want to turn around and like make a course. So, you know, I think it's a lot of that. I think the industry is maturing and we're getting to a point where we're like, Sometimes we buy things and it validates that we already knew it mm-hmm. or we know enough. And that's a gift, right? Like yes. we can talk about, is it a $200 gift? Is it like a $10,000 gift? You know, well, that's to be said. But I find myself in a lot of places, you know, buying something and being like, oh, okay, I actually know how to do this. And this is a really successful course. And um that's great. Like, hopefully this is helping people. I was a couple steps ahead, maybe, or like I knew a little more. And this could be course creators getting better at actually really narrowing down selling to the right student who's actually this is the right Mm -hmm. step. And I think in this space, and this is how us as educators kind of come in and reflect, it's like, you know, are you going? That's why we have prereqs. Like, that's yes. why we like say, like, you have to be at this level, or this is how your writing competency needs to be, or your, you know, math competency. And so part of me is like, we could get better to not just try to get every student um, and just sell to everybody no matter what, but like really nail um, even just the the selling process to ask the right questions to make sure that the person's actually ready. Because I've bought many courses just because they were on sale or I was like, oh, I'll buy this in the moment. I'll use it. Yeah. Like I'll use it in the future. And so then everyone's coming to me as a course creator and being like, oh, no one finishes courses. And I'm like, well, yeah, because people are just hoarding them with no intention of doing it yet. Exactly. So so it's like, it's not really necessarily the teacher's fault that people are doing it, but it is in the sense from like the mix of like marketing and learning, just like what you're saying. Like learning isn't solely, here's my exact template and I will Mm -mm. save you time and money, which is a thing that you can sell and can help people. But like, are you giving them the actual skills to make decisions, you know, in the future without that exact template. And that I think is lacking for sure. It's it's true. And it's hard to pivot from that point. I mean, you know, Mm. we're so, we teach how, we teach how we learn or how Mm -hmm. we were taught, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's a big thing, you know that. And so does your audience. But Mm -hmm. it's funny because going back to that whole validating thing, like that was what my master's was in business. Like I, you know, I was in corporate for a few years. Then I went to do my MBA and I'm like, well, that was a great $30,000 $30,000 validating exercise, right? <laughs> right. But, but it's still, it was still necessary and I still it's got a lot yeah. out of it for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I think when people, the, the purchase behavior, the psychology around that is definitely around, you know, you can either have people looking for validation, you can have mm-hmm. the motivated student, yep. or you can have the lazy student. Yep. <laughs> Right. The student who was like, yeah, I'll just get it, but I'm not going to be involved and I'm going to sit here and criticize and critique from the yes. background. Right. Mm-hmm. So all these different students. So I love the prereq um, mm-hmm. analogy that you put because to selling business courses to being in academia, it's the same philosophy. It is. So yeah. you've done such a good job with that in terms of tapping into the whole, um, the psychology of people who need it, who want it, mm. who will be committed to it. Your um, best students, right? Yes, like, yes. that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's just like, that's the perfect term for it. And they're hard to find. 
And yeah. yeah, and it's it's not, you know, people create courses too to make a quick buck. Of course. And people see through that. You've talked about that really brilliantly as well. But yeah, it, it is. It's the best student. I mean, and the best student could be there to validate the things that they know. Maybe they do yeah, need a boost. sometimes. That's mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the motivate stuff. But yeah, I do... Uh, I, I, <laughs> It's so funny with the whole validation, but my course, so, you know, I was in your course to develop a course, went to go launch it. I put the brakes on. I needed to think about it a little bit more, primarily because it's it is like a course that we deliver in an academic institution, but then there are yep. also so many differences, and I hadn't I teased out the differences enough. Yeah, yeah. So my, I love that. Yeah, yes. my buyers were very forgiving, and mm. um, they were like, "Yeah, no problem." And and you had alluded to that too. Again, so you were two steps ahead, and you had a guest on that talked about people who were there ready to go. And didn't care if you had anything done yet, but they knew they yep. were going to get benefit from you, mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. and they are so forgiving. Um, and mm-hmm. so that that is also a testament and, and a bit of um, a boost to know that people are listening. Because isn't it funny yes. when you're on social? It's like a classroom. Like you have your uh, virtual classroom is. in the world of the interwebs that could be silent, and then you have you know your your real classroom with students that are sitting mm. there and they're looking at you, and you have no idea if they're listening, if they're enjoying. Yeah, like it's really hard to gauge, and I I, I find that difficult as well who's listening who cares mm. who's gonna who's gonna <laughs> want more right like mm, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard it's hard to gauge I find that one really tricky right now yeah it's tough and I I'm finding it tricky even teaching it with um, the students who um, are in my program and I am helping them really early stages with the audience building some of them are pivoting and have a new audience and it is those early stage where it feels like you're you're shouting out into like a vacuum or an echo chamber or something and it's like like how do i engage people with like my content like and that's a big it's a big thing and i think it's funny cuz it it reminds me also of the previous you know kind of train of thought we were on too where like the the failure thing yeah. is like keep going keep going like consistency um that that's just a data point that right now at this moment that thought or Facebook Live or, you know, Facebook long posts that you wrote or blog posts that didn't get a lot of traction. It may not even be that the content is bad. It's just like the right people didn't see it, unfortunately, with the way algorithms work and stuff, too. And so we have to like, I think as scientists, like knowing that we know that like how research is conducted, we can't control for so many of the variables that are happening in our businesses. And so we can just like make cause and effect in our head, which we all know is a dangerous like thing, a choice, but we do it because it is protection. Yes. Um, if I've learned anything even from therapy too, like I've been doing, um, and I've been really open about it on this podcast, having interviewed lots of therapists as well, that I'm doing EMDR and I, um, it's the first time I've done therapy in my life. And it's been really cool and it's supported me in, in business. And that's one of the big takeaways of engaging with past memories and even things that are happening now is this idea of how I have these auto responses, right? And so if the auto response is no one cares, like no one's listening, this is going to fail, the one post can just be like, oh, that's evidence. Mm. Because now you're you're doing the confirmation yes. bias, which we know in research for sure. So I, it's interesting because it's like, I'm an academic and I can talk about <laughs> and study this stuff. But when it's like me and my business and my social media and my like, you know, ass on the line, it's, I can t- go into that same like, you know, easy, just I'm the worst or I'm terrible, which isn't true. Right. For and sure. so it's, it's, yeah, you know, running a business has just been one of the most like 
personal development <laughs> like on steroids that I've ever experienced personally. Well, it just plays games with your mind. And that's yeah. the very nice way to put it. There's a very harsh way I could have said it, but we don't want too many beeps. But yeah, it's yeah. like a complete, <laughs> it's a, yeah. like a complete mind game, right? Yep, yep. In terms of what happens there. And you know, here's the self-talk that I go through when mm. I publish something or post something or, or, you know, and it doesn't get a lot of traction is that you're right. Maybe the right people didn't see it because the first go-to, like you had mentioned too, is like, oh, the content sucked. It didn't resonate. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't yeah. well written. Like, oh, how I'm embarrassed that that is so detrimental to my brand. Right? right. So then you go down this spiral of like, I've just ruined my brand and people are going to think less. And then I think to myself, who the F are you? Like, you're not that you know, big. And there are 7 billion people in the world. And because, yeah. you know, there's another opportunity. There will always be more opportunity for somebody to see it if you post it again later, if you yes. put it through a different channel, if you put it on a different time, right? All so it's testing. just, mm -hmm. that's it. And that is just mm -hmm. using that methodology, but really yanking yourself out of that ugly place where nobody cares this yeah. is brutal. This is really poor content. You know, what's funny too, because I used to talk about this teaching sociology. We talk a lot mm. about like, I start with a little bit of psychology at the beginning of the semester, um, just to tap into like students like perspective and worldview, mm -hmm. really important in, you know, grounding in sociology. But like one of the activities I had them do is it's a great activity and my students love it. And I ask, I basically make everyone raise their hand and say, you know, how many of you have ever sped before and like, you know, gone past the speed limit. And they're like, you know, 90% mm -hmm. of the students raise their hand. And then I was like, okay, cool. What are some reasons you speed? People are like, oh, like, I I'm late, or I got lost in the music, or, um, you know, I yeah, I was zoning out, or I most of the time, it's like something like haphazard, like, sure. I, I didn't realize it, or it was that time that I had to, right? Yeah. One person will be like, oh, I have a fast car and I like doing it, right? <laughs> of course. And so then I say to them, I was like, well, does anyone do it because they're an asshole? And they're like, what? <laughs> I was like, literally, like, are you riding around driving and speeding and going, I'm so mean and I hate everyone? And like, everyone laughed. And I was like, isn't it funny that like, that's what you think everyone else is when you, have you ever flipped anyone oh, off? I love Driving it. who's cut you off. Right. And so I say that to them and they're like, Oh, yeah. And I'm like, and what do you think about them? Oh, they're inconsiderate of me. And I'm like, awesome. And I'm like, so this is actually something in psychology where we take what our individual experience is and we say that, oh, this is different. But for everyone else, they act a, a different. I like can, I have excuses and reasons behind why I do my actions and everyone else is this block, right? right? Like, and so it, it obviously plays out in politics. We're actually recording after uh, the election. Um, <laughs> and this plays out in politics when we think about, you know, voting on issues and stuff. But like, what it you just made me realize is it's also coming through in our posting, like, oh, well, for me, it's because I suck or so whatever your autoplay is. But the other people, it's like, oh, that's cool. Like, I don't think I've ever gone to a post and said, I can't believe that person posted it. It's ruining their brand. And usually it's not because no one's talking. If I've seen someone make something that I was like, oh, really? You're going to say that? Okay. Yeah. And it's usually something a little like, you know, more damning for like who they are as a person and worldview yes. than it is actual business. And 
it's and that post is often getting so much traction because it's pretty controversial. So the idea that I don't even do that to other people, but I think for myself <laughs> that that's what it means, such a mind flip, it right? It is. It is. And it's like, who who are we to think that anyways? Like, it's almost giving ourselves... That anyone even yeah, cares. It's like giving ourselves <laughs> yeah. way too much credit at the same time, right? Exactly. Like, really? Yeah. You think that of you for sure? But I think, I don't mm-hmm. know if it's the, the right theory, but is it the attribution theory that you're just talking about? If it was yeah, like some I, form I, of that, um, I think... I'll have to look it I up. I was trying to remember what I call it. Like I can see my I slide <laughs> with like a speeding car. Um, I think fundamental attribution yes, theory. That's it. Yeah, fundamental attribution. Yeah, it's so yep, funny yep. how our mind goes to that, right? Like yeah, that's part of my organizational behavior course where we talk about exactly. that, right, with my students for sure. <laughs> so good. Oh my gosh. Well, it's good. I love bringing out the nerd stuff too, because then it's like, oh, because like we know cool stuff like that that other people don't. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, that might actually be really helpful to talk about in BBB. Well, there you go. <laughs> like when we're, yeah, when we're sitting out lo- alone by ourselves and judging ourselves, like and recognizing what biases are in- coming into play. A lot of people talk about mindset and self talk, but like, there's like real psychological research yes. <laughs> on this, and it's important that oh, people for know that. sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny when you say sitting alone and thinking. I mean, where do you get your biggest, brightest ideas? Is there like a particular room, space, time of day or activity where you're like, I got to write this down or I'm going to record this right now? Yeah. Is there a pattern to this? I find... I don't know. I well, I live in a studio right now. It's a big studio. It's not like tiny. Um, It basically is a one bedroom kind of studio. But um, so it is one time in my life where I feel like I don't have a lot of spaces that are separated. I've lived in houses and all this stuff where I could go to a room or like a part of the house. And this is a smaller space. (laughs) I'll say that. Or it's all visible. It's hard to explain. There's no like dividers, right? right? It's all open. Um, So I don't get it at my desk. (laughs) I will tell you that. Right. Um, And I'm definitely one of those. I don't know if you know the Colby with like your work too. Like, yes. um, yeah. So I'm like super high quick start. Right. Okay. And it's really important for quick starts to be able to have enough space to, if they get this idea, I almost become obsessed with it. And if yes. I lose that juice, then I don't, I, it just goes away. And I try to hold on to it. And I have all these files of like inspiration, but I never have that time um, and I learned that probably last year in my business, I started to realize that I had coaches and stuff pe- and people say like, you need more white space in your calendar because, you know, things will hit you. Things will hit me sometimes, you know, at any point in the day. And then it's like, I wish I didn't have these calls. Like, I just want to make this right now. Yes. And unfortunately, and so that's part of why I changed a lot of my business model away from doing one on one where it involved me and calls because I wasn't creating. So yeah, I know that didn't totally answer your question. I, I think it happens when oh, I'm least expecting it. Yes. And, and then and that's key, right? For sure. I, I love that. And I'm glad you said that because I feel guilty too, right? When you have like these mm. calls and you have these things like, you know, that you're just in the moment, like you're like, that's it. I have to clear my schedule. And I think that's Yeah, a I wish sim- I could drop everything. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a symptom of and I and I say this and it's not an excuse or, you know, for for the way that I actually do things, but I soak and soak and soak. And my best work comes out at the 11th hour. Like mm. 90% of the time is what happens under pressure. The stuff I come out yep. with, like, you know, I, I am going to toot my own horn. Like it is, it works. It's brilliant. It's one of my, it's the yep. best stuff that I yep. come up with. Um, the only thing that happens to people like me who work like that is that if, you know, shit hits the fan at the 11th hour, you have no contingency. 
like you're down no, to the wire, right? True. So and you're like, why did I do this to myself? Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. at that point, like that, I'm a, it's just the adrenaline. It's the, the adrenaline, you know, the mm-hmm. soaking that just gives you that. It's like a diamond. Aren't diamonds created like with tons mm. of pressure in the rough? Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly how uh, how things happen for sure. I love that. It for- reminds me what you're talking about. And I don't know if this is true for you too. It reminds me of actually being a student, like a grad mm. student as well. And like waiting to the last minute, but cause I've read some interesting stuff on, on procrastination as well, that like mm-hmm. procrastination isn't actually a bad thing. It's the way we talk about it. And that some people's brains work in a way or, or they've conditioned themselves or whatever their processes that they've created is the stewing is happening in my brain. That's kind of what you said. Yes. Stuff is happening without me even really trying, right? I'm putting things together. I like sitting with information. I like collecting information. I think that's part of being an academic. And then when I actually dedicate the time and sit down and do it, and sometimes starting is the hardest thing. But when I do it, it like comes out and it's like, this is genius. Yes, (laughs) it is. You're like, where did this come from? And it's like, oh yeah, because Lindsay, you've been stewing for a while. And and that's how my... And so I relate that actually to how I did my research, like to how... I did some of the, you know, assignments I had to do in grad school. Is, so do you liken that to, is it we chose the academic path we chose because that's how we did it? Or do you think the academy had some impact on us being able to do that well and work under pressure? Oh, fab question. I think, so <laughs> I think it's we personality. So I'm a big fan of the personality mm. styles. I study that, that gets, uh, it's part of the foundational elements of a lot of my frameworks. But I think that- Oh, cool. As I don't know if you know your Myers-Briggs personality style. Yes, I do. ENFP. Perfect. That's what I am. I thought that's yeah. what you were too, right? Of so course. yeah, of course we are. <laughs> so many, so many entrepreneurs for sure. Yes. Oh, for sure. So then the whole, so the ENFPs, that's just, that's just a symptom. That's just exactly mm. how, how they operate. And I think you find yourself yeah. in lines of work where that works. I mean, I remember being in corporates. Yes. ENFPs do not thrive in a corporate rigid environment. Oh, I, I knew that. I avoided it like the plague. See, I, I, knew I that. didn't. Yeah. And I spent like mm. almost 10 years in that environment. However, it did allow <laughs> me to get to know myself a bit more. And it yeah. really did give me the experiences to bring to a classroom where ENFPs can also thrive uh, especially, mm, I feel mm-hmm. like I can thrive here in the college setting. I can thrive in my entrepreneurial business. Like this is that. the perfect life for an ENFP yep. right now. You can mm. rely on your verbal fluency as extroverts. <laughs> you mm-hmm. are, you know, very much 30,000 foot thinker as an intuitive person. We are concerned about what yeah. other people think. And that's why we beat ourselves up all the time and mm-hmm. press for more. And the last minute, which is the whole um, perceiving or judging function, like that's, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's really... Oh, that's spon- where that comes from. That's okay. where that comes from. The spontaneity The you know, we're also mm-hmm. a bit indecisive. That can uh, kick us in the ass a bit. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I know. Yeah, just a little bit, right? It's like I don't know if you and Derek have these conversations, but it's like, where do you want to go for dinner? And I don't know what personality Derek is, but assuming he's a he's little the bit, opposite. He's he, okay. all the opposite letters. <laughs> I. ISTJ. What is it? ISTJ. That's yes. what he is. Yes. And so my <laughs> husband's the opposite except for the extrovert. So we fight for airtime. Oh, funny. Yeah. So that's an interesting Okay. One. But yeah, oh, so be not. like, where are you going for dinner? And, you know, I'll be like, I don't know. He's like, well, would you like to go to like this restaurant or this one? I'd be like, I don't know. I feel like this. He's like, perfect. We'll take, you know, this exit. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to go to the yeah. other one. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly yeah. what happens with our types. 
Uh, but we're fun. That's so funny. We're so fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think the awareness of it too, like Derek and I, I mean, we're literally opposites. Yeah. Um, and it's actually cool because he just joined my business at the beginning of this year. He also professor uh, physics, of course, that makes wow. a more sense. Yes. Um, yeah. So he took off when I took off, like we both left at the same time, but mm-hmm. I brought him in the business more like formally and more like full time this year. And it's perfect because it also relates to uh, what's the the rocket fuel uh, visionary integrator? I don't know if you've read any of that. The EOS people, yes, the entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. he's he's very integrator e right, like the step by step methods and process. And even today, <laughs> his job right now, we're getting a webinar live, is like active campaign talking to Jet Webinar talking to ClickFunnels. It's like the worst. <laughs> it gives me hives. Yes, and he's the detail like stuff. Spending the details, the stuff, details, and he yes. Loves solving the problem. Here's the funny thing: he's like Lindsay. So Active Campaign won't send the 15 minute email because what if someone joins and he's coming up with the scenario? And oh, I'm God. like, cool. Let's just send them an email when the webinar's live. So if they don't do minutes, just make it an hour. And he he was like, okay. And he goes, and sure enough, two three hours later, he comes back. He's like, yeah. So it definitely doesn't work. And I'm like, so you didn't listen? You didn't no. let me? And he goes, no. And I go. You just love solving problems. You don't even care that it has to do with my business. Like That's right. it's not about the answer for my business. It's like he just loves solving problems, which is great for physics uh, to keep you know that brain going. But it's also good for business because what happens is is he's actually um, if you've caught his videos, he actually teaches people really well how to use tech. Yes. and most of the tech products you know, they don't have good libraries on like actual problem solving. Like he has that skill and I do not. And so it's so cool to be running a business with someone that's opposite because I feel like we can just say like, oh, I like he can call me out and I can call him out and be like, cool. Next time, don't waste three hours just because you want to figure out the thing. Like move on. <laughs> I love um, it. And and like come back to it later. You can still like try to figure it out, but we got a lot on our list, you know? Um, and so that self-awareness is big. And I think we've learned a lot in business, you know, obviously being in a relationship together mm-hmm. and running a business is not a joke, but we're kind of, he learned more about me instead of being like, oh, why does she do that? It's like, oh, she does that. I do this. And so then it's even you know, it's even like made that even stronger. Like the instead of instead of just being like, oh, I accept her for who she is. It's more like, <laughs> oh, that's why she's making that decision. Yes. And it's like and now he doesn't have this like that's so weird thought process behind it. Oh, well, it's so cerebral, it, like, purpose, which is nice yeah. because, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Sure. And, and when it's that way, then there's no assumptions and there's a better understanding. It's understanding mm-hmm. why the person behaves the way they do. And that's, yeah. you know, that's part of what I do um, as an entrepreneur in terms of one of my course offerings outside of academia is the whole soft skills trilogy. Yeah. And so there's uh, with my with my business partner as well or my business collaborator, what we do is we come together and we launch this because people come to, you know, to coaches and, and to different seminars and workshops to understand how to work with difficult people. When in fact, it's not necessarily difficult people. It's, it's just the, the, it's them. the friction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, You're the difficult you. person, likely. 
(laughs) This is going to be counseling you today. But yeah, but it's just understanding why that friction exists. And Mm. we've worked with companies where, you know, there's polar opposites work together and they're not in a relationship. So they don't have to get along. Their marriage isn't on the line for this, right? So um, it's just so eye-opening. And we give people examples as to why they behave they do. What kind of data do they like and trust? Like you and Derek Mm -hmm. and my husband and I would rely on different data. Um, yeah. and, and, and just exactly on, in terms of making decisions and we will make decisions differently as well. Like the whole feelings mm. part of our code or our personality type is based on people. Whereas our yeah. husbands would go data hundred percent first, but you and I would be a little bit more inclined to think about the people involved. Yes. Um, yeah. so that's, that's a huge breakthrough for people cause they just don't get yeah. that. So yeah. and it's funny that you and your husband are into business together. This is like a secret dream of mine that like Chris will quit Ooh, his, yeah? his principal job. You know, he's a principal at elementary school, you know, trying, you know, trying to, to become administrator oh, of the that. school board. Yeah. And I'm like, he's coming with me in two weeks. I have a facilitation um, gig for Empowered in My Skin. It's, it's uh, a seminar that I've been doing for the last three, four years. And I'm like, hey, oh, cool. you want to come do this with me? And he's like, no. Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> and I was like, but why not? He's worried be about being sucked into, it sounds like. Yes. And I'm like, <laughs> maybe if he knows more, he'll want to join. <laughs> well, yeah. And he knows so much about it. But uh, yeah, he actually, mm-hmm. he actually agreed finally. So he'll be coming with me on stage. Oh, yay. And doing a yeah, 20 minute. But it's about that. It's about the personality piece and understanding yeah. how to reduce friction between anybody. And that's huge. I do this mm, with my students. I love that. We do. I do the whole ah. Myers Briggs. It's an hour and a half because, just like you said, too, oh, wow. on it's the soft skills and bringing that self awareness to students. I spend six weeks on mindset yes. and really understanding, mm-hmm. getting them to understand. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, yeah. And what personality style they are, why they might have these what tendencies. What is this for? Well, this would be for entrepreneurship. So it would be an intro to entrepreneurship, oh, cool. uh, organizational behavior. Awesome. Um, really, yeah, most business classes, this would apply because you need to know about mm-hmm. your own tendencies and other people's and how to get along. So I have to ask you, because this is, this comes up for me. I, I like just recorded an interview last night with a, a podcast that does health education, like for health educators. And so I was a guest and they kind of asked me about my thoughts about higher ed and Um, I get asked that obviously a lot in this space. And so you straddle like I do, but you straddle and teach business. And there's so many people in our space in in at least this like digital entrepreneur space where people are like, oh, MBAs are a waste. They don't teach the, the right things that's actually working. They don't know how to make money. They're teaching old, outdated theories. And like here you are teaching business classes how do you feel about how, you know, higher ed is being represented in some of the circles that we're in? Like, you know, maybe even probably a bunch of people in Archangel, mm-hmm. right? Like how, their perspective on higher ed. It's a good question. I mean, here, here's the <laughs> thing. Like we have different options. And I've, and I say this, I say this out loud um, because I don't, it's a point of view. And I think it's something we need to be paying attention mm-hmm. to. So my perspective on, on this is that within the next five to 10 years, maybe even sooner, Lindsay, like students who typically go to academia to get their degrees, to get their education, will be um, more cognizant of the other options they have. Um, yes. And businesses, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've talked about this too on the other podcast, so I'm sorry if this is repetitive for your listeners. Oh, no, but, no, no. No, well, this is, I mean, that's me being a guest on a different one. Yeah. So we're, I'm bringing it, you know, here. Sure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, they will be um, cognizant of, of what they need 
in just-in-time learning versus committing to mm -hmm. the two, three-year, yes. four-year programs um, to get the certificate. And, um, you mm -hmm. know, in complementary to that, businesses will also start to pivot and require potentially different type of training, which may not be yeah. the, you know, formal institutional training. So, Which Google is doing and lots of, like, you know, very popular tech startups. Yeah. And, and Amazon, well Facebook, and Google yep. all yep. have different hiring criteria. Well, they have different hiring criteria than the typical academic resume. Yes. Um, for yeah. sure. And they are also top 10 skills. The top five mm -hmm. within the 10 are soft skills. They are not technical skills because mm -hmm. you can teach the technical skills, right? They, they'll yeah. teach them that. They're the, they're better at that than we are at teaching that stuff mm -hmm. uh, most of the mm -hmm. time. So, you know, again, like the whole thing, like, this is when I started to think about this because Marie Forleo, um, you've mentioned her as well. It is, she has that B school. And what, yeah. like, how fantastic was that? Like, you got a, almost mm. a whole year's worth of information within six weeks and she continuously evolves, you know, evolves the material. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, for me as a, you know, when I was starting out, that was what I needed and then some. Mm. So, okay. you know, again, that is an, an, an option or an example of maybe somebody who will have, and again, it depends on learning styles. You could be in the classroom, which we have heard tons of students say, I love being in the classroom. I love the interactivity. Yeah, it's different. Then mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. virtual learning. So to answer your question, I, it was a long answer. I just think that there's... No, just, I mean, this is a big topic. I think it's It's a huge actually. topic. Yeah. I just think that there are yeah. the academia and, and the academic institutions and the way that things are taught you know, we should be very aware there are other options out there. And so that's why I start to bring that into the classroom so that the students, yes. they can experience new age. They can experience the things that are also available, but I can bring that into the classroom. So that's why I'm constantly, I'm a course collector. I'm a course yeah. hoarder, but I yeah. pump that right back into the but classroom. But you bring it students. in. Yeah. Yes. And so this is where, and this is where I get, I guess when I think about, I, I sometimes feel like I have to defend the college, uh, the purpose of college in these spaces because it, it gets swept under or there's this this very like myopic view of like, oh, well, if I make a million dollars and I don't have a degree just like Bill Gates and like <laughs> and they list like these, mm -hmm. like, the, you know, these people that have had such an impact on us as a, as a society. And it's like, oh, so that means education doesn't matter. And Part of me is just like that isn't even like a well thought out critical statement, no. and and part of me is like their lack of being able to see how it's valuable as a society, not valuable for you as an individual to make money, but like how it actually impacts our society, which is the people we that we're you know responsible to, whether they want to be responsible to them is another question in, in all of itself, but. So it, it gets me, it's funny because you're the, I think you're the first person I've interviewed that actually teaches business and entrepreneurship. And they, yeah, I think, I, I know there's like the clips from Seth Godin, from Gary Vaynerchuk. There's all these people. I think there's this whole, there's this video that went around of them all saying like how college degrees are worthless, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I don't, and, and I think what you're bringing to the table is saying like, you basically are representing, and this is the key, is that there are professors that are doing it like you're doing it. Like to pretend yes. that all professors don't go outside of their classroom is bunk. And I rarely meet a professor who isn't thinking about how their industry is changing. And so they they all remember that one class where they had that one professor who wasn't teaching the thing that they yes. now know 10 years later. And I'm like, as if like <laughs> that's like, the know. way you make your judgment. Like, so 
I just get right. like, fired up by it, obviously, as you can tell. <laughs> no, and, and uh, you're absolutely right because I mean, I love my professor job, and I get mm-hmm. asked a lot of time are people, you know, from people saying, "Oh, are you going to quit that and go mm-hmm. full time with your business?" And I, I answer that no right away because yeah. I, I love this. It, mm-hmm. it, it, one informs the other. Yep. And it's such a compliment. Like, it's a privilege to be in front of the classroom it to inspire really students. Yep. Yep. And, and who knows where life will take me? I mean, mm-hmm. if, if capacity creator takes off uh, the way that I've always dreamt it to be, then I have to evaluate my capacity exactly. to see yeah. you know, where I belong. But even just back to your original point in terms of, yeah. you know, we, we place so much emphasis on like Bill Gates doesn't have an education. Yeah. Zuckerberg never <laughs> finished. Like, out. How, yeah. Like, how many yeah. can you even, you know, these people are huge, but how many can you even count on one hand? And that is a representation of. Of yes, the whole well, that's a whole sociological thing too. We can there talk about that. Like, it's yeah, not pick- a reli- it's not a reliable data no. point. No, and when you're in front of the classroom. Your, the students today are very different than mm-hmm. 10, mm-hmm. even five years ago. They hold us way more accountable for mm-hmm. what's happening. Hands mm-hmm. will fly up if they're not happy, if they're not getting what they paid for. This is a consumer. And this yeah. is the way that I see them in the classroom. They are my students, but they're also a paying consumer. Mm-hmm. I need to fulfill that obligation. Um, and so that's why I just I just take it so seriously. And I make sure that I give them everything and then some. Yeah, uh, because I want to satisfy the consumer. Yeah, and I like, and part of me, and like, there's probably people listening cringing because I also like thinking of how, you know, higher ed shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be about consuming in the dollar, but it is and it always has been. Like, it's sure. always been run like a business. Um, and I do believe that it should be rem- like, should remain a public good and should be accessible and it sh- and and all of that. Um, sure. And I guess that's also part of my, my you know, take on on this conversation too is that like it is actually about how is higher ed responding to how technology is changing right um and that's why we exist and we're having this conversation it's so rad and then how is how can higher ed have an impact in these spaces as well which is like us you know demonstrating how you can teach well online and like how you should be held accountable by your student for providing the transformation that you promise in your course. So like we're both informing each other. So I think the commentary too that like comes up is like cost benefit exchange. And Mm. that is a fair, that is a fair thing to, to look at. It's like, it is, you know, the cost of education has gone, has skyrocketed and, and how that translates into value into job, the job market is, obviously not working. Right. And so that's where there, I think the real issue is, and it's less about what's happening behind those doors or in those spaces and more about how we're funding it as a society and what we're, you know, willing to charge students tuition for and the, the, the way the economy basically isn't supporting them on the other side of that. That's the problem. Uh, but it gets wrapped up in it's worthless. And it's like, I don't know what you guys think is going to happen like past, you know, whatever you think is required education. But I think it's well, it's tying into the whole idea of homeschooling is becoming a lot more popular. Mm -hmm. You know, curriculum is going to have to adjust to the way, you know, society is right now. And I think there's huge strides to be made there. But it's not the whole thing is terrible. And there's no way I would want to live in a society where 
parents were responsible for educating their kids. If we're talking about creating vacuums and echo chambers, I don't know what could be worse. Like Um, I can't even be held responsible to drive my kid to dance. Like I know, (laughs) and to and it's such a. It's also coming from such a place of privilege. The people that are being able to make those decisions, and um, that's why college is so important. Though is students go and leave their, you know, their family and like go somewhere else. And that's when they sometimes have some of their first interactions with people of different races Mm. and uh, religions and backgrounds. I mean, there's a ton of research on that as well. If we remove that, like we, it's, it's not good. It's, (laughs) we're not, you know, socializing even more. And it's kind of one of those, you know, parts of our culture that we've created. And that's one of the byproducts of it is interacting with people that are unlike them um, and have different ideas. And I I definitely do not trust uh, parents at home to be able to, um, no. you know, think like that or teach like that in any way, shape or form. So and but also these are the same people who've been college educated. Exactly. And they're like, oh, I know enough. Oh, yeah. I got it. So yeah. that's I could do better. Up in it's too. just that whole yeah. ego thing. It's like I can do it much better. I mm-hmm. don't trust. And it's it's really yeah, it's, it's a bit of a very narrow, narrow minded way to think about it. Not calling anybody particularly narrow minded, but um, there yeah. a couple of data points too that I that I was thinking about is you know when I taught at one of the colleges here up in Ontario, Canada, because where are most of your listeners? Are, are they all over North America? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we had um, the college had an, invested a lot of money to put these cameras up in the classrooms to record the record the lectures to record the classes so that uh, students had an students. option. Mm-hmm. They can, mm-hmm. you know, so all of a sudden it became an option. You can come to class or you can watch the recording mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. So tons of money put into this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then we surveyed students to say, okay, um, how many people love being in the classroom versus the virtual option? And what do you think students said? Uh, classroom? Yes, they loved the classroom. Yeah. And then we looked further into the data to see, okay, how ma- like how much of those re- recorded classroom lectures were actually being watched? watched. So out of 90 <laughs> minutes, the average yeah. was somewhere between six and eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And they weren't Sounds watching familiar. it, right? So Aligns you- with my Facebook Live data. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's everybody. You can see those right. trends, right? Yep. And then, so even going back to the point about the money as well, like, mm. you know, Students are consumers. They will be the first ones to say, I paid to be here. My my mom paid me yeah, of course. Paid for me to be here. So I want to learn. Here's one of the, you know, and, and some of, of, of your professors or instructors on this, um, educators on this podcast might find interesting. So in Canada, I will give you a Canadian or a domestic student tuition example. So when we get in front of the classroom, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell students for every class you miss, you know, let's say a three hour um, class per week over 14 weeks, you're pretty much giving up about $120 ish. Ah, you price it out. I yeah. love that. So then you give them this, this price on every time they miss a class. It's like mm-hmm. you just pissed away 120 bucks. And if you want to go even further with that, I'd be like, would you buy a ticket to a sporting event or a concert and not go? Ah, that's a good way of And they too. sit there and they're like, no, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's interesting because then, you know, some of them will miss and be like, hey, you know, 500 bucks. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. yeah. And so they're like, what? And so it's just, it's an interesting perspective to also uh, instill a bit more accountability. To make them think about it in a different way, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's um, kind of interesting and like a cool way to look at it. Sure. And then it would also invite into the conversation too about like, yeah, what tuition is? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, where does that money go? Um, which I think it, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize either. 
um, student, um, most, most professors, I guess, if they're paying attention, um, you know, might know that kind of stuff, like how the school's budget is set up. But like most of my students too, I was always trying to shed light on the idea that, Hey, I get paid differently than so-and-so. Have you ever taken a class with them? And they're a part-time lecturer. Right. And, um, they're like, Oh, I thought you guys were the same. And it's like, yeah, we are the same, but we're not unfortunately mm-hmm. at the way the school treats you. And the students had no idea. They're like, wait, what? Cause they think you have doctor in front of your name. That's right. You guys must be millionaires or something. <laughs> um, and so just like even shedding light on the discrepancies there, um, I think is important for us to, to, you know, so students start to realize like what, yeah, what they're signed up for and what they're participating in and, and why. And I, me teaching at a community college, it is, you know, it, it's such an important layer of the academic system, especially in the United States where it's open to anyone. You don't have to get in. Um, and in California, we are, have still one of the highest subsidized. So it remains relatively cheap. Right. And lots of people are making that decision to go there and then a, um, a four year to get their terminal in order to save money. Right. And so the community college, which used to be considered non-traditional, the, and then the students as a part of that institution were non-traditional, it's starting to flip. It's just under the 50% of the school of kids in um, the U.S. that are enrolled in education right now, like just under 50% are a part of a community college system and wow. in the not in the higher ed. And so just even that was in my research of community colleges was part of my dissertation. So um, it's changing like yeah. what we're and that's where I think it's cool is we can actually help like higher ed make some of these decisions around how they're going to be available to students, how they're going to be accessible. Um and it's going to be more virtual and it's going to be maybe, you know, deciding to bring in, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk to teach a course or something. <laughs> sure. Who knows? I'm sure that's like a whole other maybe he'd probably sit there and laugh and be like, yeah, give me, you know, five hundred thousand dollars. Exactly. Right. I'll um, do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And he'll probably get it. And then that'll be a huge controversy. So there's oh my that. gosh. Yes. I mean, I think there's going to be some interesting decisions being made. They're already being made. I think the for profit, you know, stuff that happened um, that was going around the recession and and all of that, I think, shed light on it is a little dangerous to just like let people just determine how they're going to charge and, you know, where the government funds and subsidizes. And that was a little scary time. But like we've learned from that, too. And it's like I remember thinking at the time because I was, you know, a brand new bright eyed and bushy tailed (laughs) like, you know, adjunct at that time at the recession. And it was like, you could see the community colleges going like, oh, we can't offer more online classes. And in fact, actually, we can't offer enough classes for the amount of students banging down the door because they're in between jobs now with the right. recession and unemployment was so high. And so they couldn't serve them. So what did those folks do in those situations is they basically signed up for loans for these for-profit institutions that promised them degrees quickly, faster, all that stuff that we were talking yes. about at the beginning. Um, and then they were, you know, holding a bill for 30K and no Ugh. job um, that they were forced to pay. And so it's like we had a responsibility yes. as a community college system to figure that shit out and not, you know, and not make people have to make those decisions. And so I think that was that's going to have an impact um, on. I mean, there's some fears around privatizing and having corporations running um, higher ed as there should be. Um, but what can higher ed do to meet the demands of a society that, like you exactly said, just in time learning, right, is going to be what people yes. want. And, um, you know, wh- where's our say in that? The people who've been in these institutions, but also maybe understand, um, you know, the solo entrepreneur space and like the like what you said, this is an option, 
Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, college as a certificate or whatever in this credential society we're a part of. Um, it, that doesn't necessarily isn't maybe as big of a requirement as it used to be. And so the shifts, um, you know, where our voices in that is going to be so important. Well, I, wow. I mean, if, if, uh, no, sorry, that was, that was, <laughs> it just blew me away a little bit. That was the moment of all my, uh, I love right, it. My, <laughs> I've been stewing well, on that good, for a while. And I'm glad you shared that because it's going to be so important for people to, to listen to that and to really think about that. And mm. as somebody in the Canadian environment, so yeah, we're, there you go. we're different, right? Mm-hmm. So tuition is subsidized, yep. uh, except for international students. And so, um, there, there isn't really a big contingent of privatized education, the way that it's set up in the U S and, um, so it's, it's yeah. a little bit different, but that just gave me a little bit more food for thought. And as you think about it, you know, just mm-hmm. the just in time and, ju- and, and some of the other options, like let's not just, you know, tear down the academic institutions. Let's, let's, no, let's do like yeah. a pivot. Let's do a 2.0 potentially, but let's have complementary yep. resources. Let's all, you know, cause we can work together. Mm-hmm. We can do micro credentials, mm-hmm. you know? So these are the things mm-hmm. that are being sought after digital badges, things like this. So this new language that's, you know, erupting here and that's, you know, different pathways for students to go on and really supporting their, their journey and trajectories. Um, so we, we do, we have to be flat, you know, we have to be flexible at the knees, bent at the knees and just really being ready to, to take on different things. I mean, that's every class for me every year. I look at, mm. and I don't go and teach the same stuff every year. I mean, I almost am a, a victim of like <laughs> reinventing the wheel. <laughs> we do, we reinvent it all the time. I hear you. I was the same at professor. ENFP. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly yep, what that there, is. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but no, Duh. but it's fun. It's how we teach. It's how yeah. we energize and 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 go from there. But yeah, I can't. I can't wait to replay what you just said. I know, right? That was beautiful. <laughs> that might be transcribed. I think and be it a blog should. Post. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd love to learn a little bit more about your business. I can't believe I, I. It's so funny. Everyone listening, by the way, like Melanie, I, I heading into this, I was like, yeah. Usually the interviews are like an hour, <laughs> and I didn't even ask my typical first question, which is about your like <laughs> academic background. So, um, I mean, we're learning about it. I think it came yes. up through the interview. But if you want to give us like the micro CV, sure. maybe if we get into that. And then um, I'd love to hear about how your business is set up right now, too. And I want to hear the impetus behind, you know, starting a business and how that was related to being a professor and and where that fits in. I think we got a little taste of that, but I'd like to kind of really nail that down. Sure, absolutely. Um, I never saw myself as an academic ever, ever, ever. Mm. I mean, I wasn't um, super strong uh, usually in, uh, you know, formal classroom settings. It was more of a, an independent kind of learner, if you will, when a rogue, a sure. rogue student. But um, I have my my BA in sociology, which, uh, you know, again, we have, yeah, we have nice. com- yeah, a little bit of commonality <laughs> there. Um, I did my master's in business, just general business. And then I, again, I just kept taking courses and courses, but you know, this led Mm. me to this corporate world uh, where I was in marketing and HR and the training and development piece of HR is really where that's, that's yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's where that was the springboard to be like, I can do this my own Uh. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's where I, I, you know, I dipped my foot. I came back early from my first maternity leave and tried my, and just try to go at, at teaching, and I fell in love, oh, fell cool. in love with it. So you know, I attribute my, my daughter, you know, a little bit of this journey to my daughter. And one thing led to another. I left corporate as soon as I possibly could and went full in, um, into teaching. But at the same time, I was being certified as a, a coach. Uh, so I went through CTI ah. and I became a certified coactive coach, uh, which I loved. And then I started cool. to get some really great gigs from that and thought, okay, 
I'm going to do a business on the side. Most profs do. Most profs have things on the side, which yeah. you know is is strongly encouraged. Maybe is that more in your business in business school? Because I would I would say maybe mm. not. <laughs> Or at least not. I remember being like, maybe it's business school. And it's funny. And I love talking about this because it's come up as well where different, you know, different departments and different disciplines are are, uh, uh, treated differently on campus. And actually, I think it was Kelly Saganak's interview early on. She's in the ed department. She's a a psychologist, a school psychologist, and she teaches future school psychologists. And she brought up actually an internal political thing that was happening on her campus with the business school and the ed school and business was well funded Mm -hmm. and education was not. (laughs) And so and, and we talked a little bit about that. And I think that it's funny because it makes sense that people who are learning about business or teach it you know, you would probably want them to have maybe dabbled in it <laughs> yes. a little bit, which again is another oh, critique, gosh. though, that comes from this space in a total lack of understanding just because of hearsay of either their <laughs> child or what they went through 20 years ago where they're like, these people don't even have businesses. And I'm like, is that true or is that what you right, think? Right. And <laughs> you're one, yeah, N1 professor that oh, taught God. marketing who exactly. was 100 years old basically yep. represents everyone. Uh, sorry, That's my okay. rant came back. It but, deserves <laughs> it. Yeah. So I think it's business school that might be a little more... Look at me in my own little likely. world. Yes, business school. Look, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah I, I do. And I think most of my prof uh, colleagues you know, have dabbled or are still dabbling in something. Yeah, I think it is That's good cool. because then you are. You are. Yeah. You know, This is a way for us to learn. And again, like I said, just really funnel that right back into the classroom and make me more relevant. Yep. Um, but it's funny because I've been yep. a bit shy to talk about it because they, you know, conflict of interest, but mm. um, so as long as you're clear and, mm-hmm. and transparent about that. But so that that's that's a bit of my trajectory, isn't it? Funny. So the speaking, the teaching, and the learning. So training and development in HR corporate yep. Yep. was the really the big, um, I guess, the impetus for me to just go and and teach, but then also open up my own business. But I've pivoted within my business too. Mm-hmm. So really focusing on, you know, I was delivering a lot of workshops on Myers Briggs, and I was doing five dysfunctions of a team, and I was doing a lot of, you know, a lot of those prescriptive or prepackaged um, courses. And mm. I thought. Ah, as an e, a true ENFP, I need to develop my own stuff. I need to, you know, so that's where yeah, Capacity yeah. Creator came from. And Capacity cool. Creator, it's now a corporation, really came from um, a, a personal experience, cool. which most of us uh, draw our businesses from, is being overcommitted, mm-hmm. overindulging, mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. really um, making great decisions and respecting my own personal capacity. So being stressed out, being overwhelmed, missing deadlines. And it was like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. So many of us are there because going back to our first three minutes of the podcast, we are being sold to every damn second. And mm-hmm. how do you make mm-hmm. decisions without being impulsive and without being too analytical mm. at the same time, right? So um, just quickly for your listeners, I mean, the capacity piece that I really help people understand is if you had an elastic band and you put it, you wrapped it around your two th- uh, thumbs and you started to stretch it. Your, the elastic band represents our capacity. And we have so much elasticity mm. within that. But, you know, you can also snap it, yep. which, you know, you're, you can kill yep. your capacity and, and, and have to start over again. So finding that right tension yeah. um, and really managing and respecting that capacity is something that I have built frameworks and tools around that I'm now just starting to, to 
put out there to the world um, through keynotes and workshops. And and I love it. I mean, it's, it's something I love to talk about. If I could talk, mm. if I would talk about it for free for the rest of my life, I would do that. But I also like, you know, getting paid for yep, yep. doing that too. So it's like, because <laughs> so that's, that's sure. a little bit about Melanie Sadka. Cool. When did you start? So ca- Capacity Creator is, you know, the framework's coming out, it, you know, this course is coming out now. What is your business? Like, how long have you been in business? Mm-hmm. You brought up B school. Um, what were kind of some of those? I do like to paint that picture too. Like some of those early decisions you made around, like what were some of the first moves? And um, so you probably, I'm assuming, started some sort of coaching practice on I the did. side when you were certified. And if you want to just kind of share that, mm-hmm. like how it's changed um, and what your income streams are, because I think that's also you know, just always really fascinating to me how people's businesses shift. For sure. I mean, the coaching practice started, it, I was I was doing a lot of facilitation as well, just because, um, you know, mm-hmm. I had those skills. Naturally. So yeah, so, and, <laughs> yeah. And I'm French, you know, I'm bilingual, so I speak French and I speak English. Oh. So, you know, I, didn't yeah, know that. So I really got a taste of this facilitation piece when I was flown up, you know, North Quebec. And I did this two week facilitation, which was fantastic. Then they were wanting me to go to Africa and then South America. But I had a little uh, person growing inside of me. So I had to decline those bigger opportunities. Mm. But, you know, from that came coaching and coaching one on one, which, you know, you've heard a lot about, too, is difficult to manage. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to make mm-hmm. a true living and do what you love through that. So then I I, yeah. I pivoted from there and started thinking, okay, what kind of workshops can I get into? Well, I was trained in Myers-Briggs. Mm. I was trained in five dysfunctions of a team. You know, I was trained in emotional intelligence. So then I started to create workshops uh, and seminars and facilitation uh, opportunities around that, Love which that. was great. Um, and that was, that was, you know, that creates some great income. Um, still teaching. And then um, I, again, I, you know, I said this earlier, I got tired of, of facilitating other people's material and mm, I really I wanted, that. Mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted to focus on my own. So I created my own and, you know, shared it with people, obviously with hesitation, because you're like, please don't, you know, say it sucks. And, and I've seen, <laughs> I've seen how it's transformed people's lives mm. in terms of they've pivoted in respecting their capacity and finding that right tension and understanding where they need to say no more often. Mm. Um, and so I've been hired for many keynotes and many workshops and many facilitation doing my own stuff. Yay! And cool. you just, you get to continue to research and write. Mm-hmm. And I have a podcast called Capacity Creator, which yes. you are going to be coming on shortly. Yes. So we can talk <laughs> about that. And then it extends to financial capacity. I can't mm. wait to get going yes. on that one too. Ooh, ooh, that's a big one, Melanie. I got I little goosebumps on that one. See, I know we all do so because good. it's still such a topic where people are like, I'm going to talk about my finances. I'm doing yeah. fine. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Yep, everything's good. No, <laughs> no, it's fine, not. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've just my husband's like, are you done spending on the courses mm, and I on this and on tools and on blah, right? And I'm like, but I need it. Yep. So <laughs> this is going to be a great nexus between you know personal capacity and business yes. and financial capacity. So I love that's it. where that's where I'm headed and. And, and we and teach what we most grow. need to learn, right? Yes. <laughs> like I'm a student of my own work. <laughs> yep. Yep. And me too, man. Me yes. too. Yeah. I love it. Um, super cool. Well, that's awesome. Mm. I love so where what's your vision for like your business? So I think I've heard a little bit now. So we're going into definitely into finances. Um, yeah. are you maybe hosting retreats or doing I could see you running a yeah, a conference, us talking about that, events. What are yes. you thinking? What's What's a capacity creator look like in the future? 
It does. It, it does. It definitely looks like events for sure. And a conference, again, I still, people still love to get together, right? So mm. I, so that's definitely in the They works. love the classroom. They yep, do. Yep. They do. And, and, and the data shows us that, Lindsay, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, so events are definitely in the planning stages for 2019. I also am dabbling with actually license, like a, a kind of a licensing. Oh, yeah. Deal that's with, a, with yeah, yep. with the frameworks and um, yep, some of the I tools bet. for coaches and for people who want to use this stuff, um, you know, in, in their own coaching practices. In their work. Yeah. In their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's also in the works for 2019. Cool. Yeah, and beyond. Yeah. That's and of a, course, that's keynotes. That's going to be fun. Keynotes and workshops. Keynotes. I love this stuff. Cool. Yeah. I want to talk about Awesome. I love it. So if you, I like to end kind of thinking about maybe you're like, what do you, what's like one thing you wish you knew (laughs) when you like set out to, um, you know, start your business maybe, or, you know, when you were making a tough decision around something, is there any kind of hot tip or advice that bubbles up when I say that? Oh my God. This Mm. is going to be lame. Lamo, are you? No, it's. Are not. you ready? Usually, the lamest <laughs> ones are like, actually, that's real. No. <laughs> yeah, go for it. It's just trust the stuff that you know. Like enough, you Ooh, just, I love just that. trust what you know already, and stop. Like yeah. you and I are creating courses, so I'm not discouraging people. This mm-hmm. is where I kind of get, I kind of feel icky about this too. But I'm like, we have stuff. When people will need it, they'll buy it. But when just, just yeah. stop signing up. For and stop buying additional mm. sit, sit down with the stuff yeah. that you have. And this is where I wrote to Geo and said, like, I'm in a straight jacket because I have overpurchased and now I don't know where the hell to begin. And so yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah, just yeah. I need to sit down. And here's the other, here's the other mind-blowing thing for myself, anyways. I was like, I have created a learning plan for myself on, you know, in terms ah. of my business. So if I look at my business goals and what I want to achieve this semester, this year. I have created a learning plan so that I know what milestones I need to hit and where I hold myself accountable. Totally necessary. Yeah. And and no one, you can only do that for yourself, yeah. right? <laughs> or maybe a support of a, of a mentor or something that knows that that's what the game plan is, but it's not buying more things no. um, or getting in more information. I think, no, that's not lame at all. And in fact, I think underlines like what most people say. In, and in this space, I think academics can... Are, we're really comfortable learning and processing. And then it's like, okay, action time. And yes. if we keep doing it when we're a little uncomfortable and we don't feel a thousand percent, that means you're exactly supposed to do it at that moment. Uh, right. <laughs> but there is no perfect moment to uh, wait for. Yeah. Yes. I think it's great advice. Oh, yep. Okay. And good. something I also, by the way, mm-hmm. need to hear myself. <laughs> so um, we just need to remind ourselves that every, you know, almost every day in this space for sure. So thank you. You're welcome. I think just things keeps accelerating quickly. And I think as learners, as lifelong learners, we are, we're just aware of all these new things that we think could accelerate the business, could make the business yeah. better. Right. And if we're and not it taking, it probably will. It probably it will. Could, yes. But it, but if you, do you have the capacity, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Uh, I love right? it. But You're it's using true. it already. Yeah. It's awesome. Yes. It's well, it's funny because I, I've, I'm in a, a peer led mastermind and, um, we, t- you know, that's what, ma- why masterminds are so nice. And especially if like, you know, everyone just kind of agrees and no one's like really, I don't know, whatever, charging a bajillion dollars for it. We're all just like in it because we care about each other and we care about each other's opinions. But what is so important in that mastermind is people reflecting back to me, um, you know, things that I'm not seeing, but that that I'm easily giving to someone else. And one of the big ones is like, 
most people are making decisions. Should I do this person's event or mastermind or should I buy this product? And we'll ask each other that. And then what always comes back is like, and because I think one of the biggest objections of someone buying a course is, will this work? Right. And it's like, it probably will. Like it worked for that person. Mm -hmm. It worked for all those people on the sales page. As long as they're not making that up, it works. It's just, is this actually your next step? Mm -hmm. Is it diverting away? Do you know what your vision is? Is it actually accomplishing your vision? Or are you in not taking action mode and like just trying to, to distract yourself from actually moving forward? And I think, and again, I have to keep reminding myself and I have, you know, people in my corner that remind me, but sometimes it is the next step. And then when it is, it feels awesome because you're just, your head is down and you're just applying the system and you're like, that's our goal. And so that goal setting and the ability to, yeah, basically set up our capacity to be able to go, that's my next move. Then you have this empowered student like we were talking about. And so, yeah, I think I'm like lots of stuff are coming together, (laughs) I think, for me in my own head about this conversation that we're having. But um, thank you for that. And I and I um, I love your brain. I love how it works. (laughs) I love yours, too. (laughs) (laughs) So fun. So where can people find you? Where are you hanging out? They want to chat with you more and get to know you. For sure. They can go to capacitycreator.com. They can come to the Capacity Creator Facebook page. Um, oh, yes. Yes. They can come to my Instagram page, which is mm. Melanie Sodka uh, with an S. With the T? No T. Uh, <laughs> no T? Okay. That's like, Scratch that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sodka like vodka. And then, like that. Yeah, and then Twitter too. Um, so at different points uh, to come and reach me and then have a chat. I mean, and it, Lindsay too, if you have anybody that you know would love to come on the podcast or you think would be a great Oh, for fit, sure. My gosh. You know, yeah. I'm, always, uh, I'm always, you know, taking names and, and looking at interesting people to come on and have a good conversation cool. with. Yeah. Well, you're an amazing... You were interviewing me at the beginning. <laughs> I was like, this is fun. <laughs> um, I love it. Um, yeah. So this has been great. I, I could talk to you forever. I think I say that a lot on the show. Yeah, and like <laughs> that's why I started exactly. it. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> yay. I look forward to hanging out with your folks too yeah. coming up. And uh, yeah. So Thank I will you. see you around. Thanks All right. for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Uh,